0: you guys' enthusiasm. Maybe we've finally woken up, huh? No. We had great worship, and then we just all had a video where we could relax together. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Give me a thumbs up, thumbs sideways, thumbs, you know, where are you at? Here. Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. All right. We're doing okay. Yeah. If you're feeling tired, sit up. Give yourself a little support. You know, pinch your thigh, whatever you need to do. And let's get into it. If you guys can open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, that's where we're going to start. But remember, I mean, we're hardcore skipping now. okay? so we're going to be uh, way flying over a bunch of chapters of John to get from 10 all the way through as you saw the resurrection of Jesus. And you may remember that on Monday night I talked about three different people who may be in this room. See, there are those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And I wanted you to be open to what God could do this week. The things he could still reveal in you. That you don't have everything figured out. That there are still things God can do in you every day. Every time you open the word. Every time you hear the word. And every time you talk about it. God can still do great things in you. And maybe there are those in this room who have said that they have given their lives to Jesus. But maybe are serving other masters doing things that don't look like a Jesus follower, claiming tribes that are not his, people who are not his, and maybe you claim one thing, but your life looks very different. And so I, can, I just challenged you to open up your heart to Jesus. Consider for the first time that this could be your decision and not somebody else's around you that you inherit. And there are those who have decided to follow Jesus and are actively, actively following him, and just want to learn. As I said in the first one, the second one being somebody who maybe doesn't know where they're at, but they say they do, and the last one would be those who have not decided whether or not they want to give Jesus their life and have never made a decision to follow Jesus, actually decided to say, this is what I want to give my life to. And tonight, I want to ask anyone who's here in any of those categories to make a decision, To put your faith in Christ in no matter what way you need to tonight. And understand that it is my heart that I just want life for you. You see, this morning we talked about sin, right? And tonight we're going to talk about the gospel. And the gospel is a word that we kind of throw around. It even kind of means a music category if you search on Spotify, right? Um, Even like Christian rap artists, they get thrown into the gospel section of the Grammys, you know? And uh, I think it doesn't do it justice. Because like I said before, the more you use something, talk about something, the more you get used to it, and maybe it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. I used to have this uh, picture in my dorm room, and it was of one of my favorite basketball players. And um, at one point, somebody said, oh, you like you like this team? And I was like, what are you talking about? I had forgotten that picture was even there at that point. I'd seen it every day. And sometimes the gospel becomes that. But what we did this morning was we talked about the beginnings of the gospel. And the beginnings of the gospel is that we are desperately broken and in need of a savior. That sin has infected everything in the world around us and our own hearts. And that's just the beginning though. So today, If you look at John 10, verses 10 through 11, Jesus makes this truth statement. He says, the thief comes to uh, only to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's not just any thief. He's talking about the thief, Satan, the deceiver. And he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So to simplify this down, Jesus pictures two possible visions for our lives. There are two things here. One path is that you are deceived, that you are still living in the flesh, and that Satan has claim over you the thief can still steal, kill, and destroy in your own heart. He'll tell you lies about who God is, have you believe that the other glasses that the world, the interpretations of the world that the world hands you are the right ones, that you can do life without God, that you are the master of your own destiny, and you don't need God. He's made you perfectly well enough, perfectly proficient enough to do your thing on your own. He'll appeal to your flesh. He'll actually convince you that that's who you are. Our disordered desires, as you may have heard it, convince you that we can decide our own truth, that what's true for me is true for me, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. He'll lure us into this life that we think we can live without God. And the end result is he steals, he kills, he destroys. Destruction is a life apart from God. That is the bad news. That is not good news. The other path, the good news, is trusting God. In Jesus. And that's what the word gospel means. It means good news. To believe the truth that there is a God who created you, and you've been designed on purpose, your life has value and meaning, and that before time began, God envisioned your life specifically. Our Creator wants you to thrive, wants you to experience abundant life with Him, not apart from Him. He doesn't want you to do life on your own. Our designer, he knows what is best for us and he calls you into that abundance. It doesn't mean health and wealth. It doesn't mean everything is gonna go well, but he promises to be with you in the valley of the shadow of death, in the hard places even. He will be with you, God of the universe, and knowing that he is with us, the bread of life, the life of the world, the living water, and the good shepherd. There are two paths that he presents, and he says one is death and one is life, and he is life. Everything else is death. And some may call this closed minded You may have heard that term before. That's very close-minded for you to think that there is one path to God. But I call it, if this is true, I call saying that kindness. It is a kindness. Um, when I was 19, uh, I was hiking in the back country of Yosemite with some of my friends. And we went down a path and unexpectedly we turned this corner and there was a bear, a very large bear from about me and what's your name? Wyatt. Wyatt. From about me to Wyatt. And I'm not joking. I felt like I could smell its probably dirty breath. And This bear was right here, and if you know anything about bears, they're very big, very scary, and very dangerous. And do you guys know when they're especially dangerous? Hungry. When they're hungry, and when they have cubs with them. This bear, in fact, had three cubs, and that's a scary thing to do, right? Was it hungry? To go? I don't know if it was hungry. I didn't hear its belly, (laughs) but I would assume so. That's probably why it was out there. So here i am with my four buddies and do you guys know what you do when you encounter a bear you turn around you show it's ba- your back and you say do you no i'm just kidding <laughs> you want some of this i look sweet you say ah bear get out of here bear you try and make yourself as big as possible right and luckily we had fog horns we were prepared we knew it was a little bit of bear country bear season and we did so we scared Mama Bear and Cubs off. And they, but the thing is, they kind of just went a little bit down the trail. They didn't deviate. They didn't go off. They just went a little bit further. And so we had a choice. What we knew was that about a quarter of a mile back, there was another trailhead that would lead to the same place. It was a little bit longer, but we knew we could get safely to the place. So we went back, right? Because obviously, we don't want to just contend with this Mama Bear after, at some point, she's going to be like, actually, you guys look like pretty decent food. So we didn't want to do that. So we went back. And you know what we did? We made a sign. And we said, pretty, it was a pretty crude sign, we just stuck it with a stick into the tree at the trailhead and said, bear on this trail, wrote the time and date, so that anybody who was headed towards that trail would know. Now for us to know that that trailhead, that specific path, were, was going to lead towards possible death, and to tell people about it, and to tell them that there's another trail that'll get them to where they're going and where they want to go, actually, safely, and to take that one. Now, I wouldn't call that closed-minded, right? I would call that kindness, a human courtesy, protective even. And so that is what Jesus and I, in this moment, are telling you, right? There are two possible paths. And what Jesus says is, look, it may not be a popular thing. People may even call it closed-minded, But if it's true, it is the most loving and kind thing you can say to somebody is to warn them that one thing is death, one thing is life. Are you guys tracking with me? So notice what Jesus says about being the good shepherd. He says that the good shepherd does what at the end of verse 11, what does he do? He lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. The one who dies in our place takes away sins is Jesus. This morning I spoke in length about what sin is and how the wages of sin is death, if you guys remember, right? Sin equals death. Soul, sometimes physical. Sin is the thing that brought death into the world according to our Bible in Genesis three. Not good news. But remember, innocence pays for guilt. And Jesus, he satisfied the justice required for sin with his sacrifice on the cross. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Remember, before it was just a covering and God's choice to forgive. He takes away the sin. And Jesus talks about it over and over again in the gospel. So let's take a moment now to consider the heart of Jesus in choosing to die for you and for me and for everyone else. God so loved the world, remember, that he died for us. He sent his son to die on, in our place, he willingly lays down his life for his sheep as they are headed for destruction. I have a friend who has five boys, five boys, very close in age. And as you can imagine, that's a crazy household. And I remember one time we were having a barbecue. He lives just around the corner from me. And one of his sons had somehow gotten up onto this stoop, Right? And so, um, what is a stoop? Uh, I would say it's more of a porch, okay? (laughs) And there's these uh, steps coming down. And he picked his son up. He was probably about two and a half. He was small. He knew this was not a good place to be. Um, So then he started coming down, and he tripped. And he was quite a ways off the ground. And in that moment, my friend had to make a decision. He could have about six to eight feet off the ground Just dropped his kid, right? That would have been a rough look, right? He could have just impacted with his kid and him and figured it out. Here's what my friend did. And I saw the whole thing happen. And I actually drove my friend to the hospital after. He grabbed his child and faced his own back to the ground. And he took the full force of the impact of falling off of what was, I mean, like a vine trellis that his son had climbed up. And I, I genuinely was amazed at the self sacrifice of my friend in this moment. To say, Your life is more valuable than mine. I am going to sacrifice my body. And you know what happened? He broke six ribs. Six ribs. And he said he would do it again because he loves his son. Just like Jesus loved us, and he gave his body in sacrifice willingly on the cross, he broke his body on our behalf so that we didn't have to be broken in the same way he did. You guys see? This is what he did for us. The same thing my friend did for his son. And if we fast forward to John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus makes this statement to his friend Martha. uh, It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. So Jesus is saying, even an earthly death cannot protect or cannot prevent you from the life I give eternal. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? See, the people in this situation had just seen Jesus quite literally raise his best friend from the dead. And, his, and he's having a discussion with his best friend's sister. And this is what he says. He says, look, this, my friend having life, eventually this guy's going to die again. But what I'm offering is eternal life. And that's what he says. Jesus is the life. Do we believe it? That's what he asks. And we've talked about that a lot this week. God created us in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God gives us life. The creator defines purpose, gives you life. He holds our lives in his hands. He is creator. And he's worthy of our worship because of that. But Jesus is also, it's not just the life. What else does he call himself here? The, in this passage, The resurrection, also the resurrection. There is death, and it's a reality. As far as I can remember, death is undefeated at this point in the world, right? Even those who Jesus raised from the dead, like I said, they eventually died. I mean, there's one who never died in Jesus. There are a couple in your Old Testament who were taken, and we're not sure what happened. But death at this point in history is pretty undefeated. But Jesus is the resurrection. A sobering thought is that a hundred years from now, different people will probably be in this room and we, we're gonna be, everyone in this room will be but memories. That's a hard thought, but a true one. It's the reality of the life cycle we live in in this, in this universe. So how is it possible? How is it possible that everyone who lives and believes in Jesus will never die? Remember that question, do you believe this? Through resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. He He is the resurrection and the life. You might remember me saying how that the law has never meant to make us right with God. It's only given to show and give us an idea, an example of how we can't do it ourselves. You cannot reach, climb a ladder, build a building to God. And he gave us all these laws in order to be an object lesson that's a pretty tough one when you try and do it yourself. It doesn't work. The whole shedding of blood, sacrificing system, remember, it just covered. And God chose to forgive. It didn't actually solve any problems. And this is why Jesus had to die. If you ask me, well, why did Jesus have to die? Right? Couldn't, have God, couldn't God have just done, I mean, he could But he's God. He creates these things. He tells us that guilt and things are only solved by the sacrifice of the innocent. And so this is why Jesus' blood was required. And this is why he is the ultimate sacrifice. In your New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews. And in that book, the author says it this way in chapter nine. It says, with Jesus' own blood, not the blood of goats and calves or other animals, he, meaning Jesus, entered the most holy place, entered the holies of holies in the temple, the place where they would sacrifice and offer the blood for the guilt of people, for the, for the covering of sins. Once and for all time, Jesus entered this holy place and secured our redemption forever. One sacrifice for all. And Jesus has risen from the dead And in rising from the dead, he conquered sin and death. We wouldn't even be here today if he never rose from the dead. Paul says in your New Testament that without the resurrection of Christ, our faith literally means nothing. And so, John 18 now, Judas brings a whole cohort, a whole mess of people to come get Jesus in the garden. And if you remember this story, if you've ever read it, Jesus, it says, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Remember, he offers willingly. And he says, "Who are you looking for?" And he knows. And he asked, and he asked this. And Jesus of Nazarene, they replied. His answer, "I am He. I am He," Jesus said. And Judas, who had betrayed him, was standing with all these people. And as Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground out of fear because they knew what he was declaring I am. I am the one you are looking for. I am he. In that moment, he is, what do they say? He's him, right? He is him. He's saying, I am the one who existed before time, the one who you call I am, I am he. That is me. I am him. Jesus was not taken. They did not bind him against his will. He willingly went to the cross on your behalf. He was not pushed. He laid down his life when he didn't have to for your behalf and for mine. So Jesus, being in full control, went before the priests in an unjust trial. And all the while, he's under this unjust trial. Peter denies him all these times. If you remember, he's asked. He's supposed to be the most zealous, most, you know, into it guy as far as his faith goes. And he denies him three times. And then Jesus stands before Pilate. And we've read this verse many times. Jesus is taken there because the Jews, they can't actually legally kill anyone. They're not allowed to. so they take him to the Roman governor, the seat of power. And remember, it says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this, I have been born. And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, remember, what was Pilate's question? What is truth? The thing that sits inside the heart of man. What is true? What is it? The question that burns inside all of us. I mean, Pilate, knowing Caesar, would have thought that Caesar, the Roman emperor, would have been one of many, the pantheon of gods in the Roman world. And he would have been like, you know, there's no, I mean, my household worships this god, this god, we all worship the emperor, of course. And he would have had such a thin idea of what true reality was, what actual truth was. You see, Pilate had all the power, all the money, all the military accolade in the world. And he still didn't know what the truth was. None of those things that the world promises you are the ultimate can actually deliver you to truth. None of them. They all overpromise and under-deliver. Power, money, sex, fame. Any of this stuff, being an influencer, if you don't know what's true, what do you have? And Pilate, I mean, we have record that Pilate actually was, after the death of Jesus, he was transferred to this place in uh, what we now call Germany, and he actually ended up committing suicide. I mean, he he never knew what truth was. Still being a decorated military official with everything at his fingertips... He didn't even want to be a part of the world without truth. And Jesus stands before him, saying, I am the I am. And tonight, Jesus, in the same way he stood before Pilate, is speaking to everyone in this room and proclaiming that he is it. He is what your heart desires. He is what you're looking for in those things, that stuff, those people. Anything you give your heart to that is not him will not satisfy and so Jesus is beaten and flogged brutally in chapter 19 with a cat of nine tails which was a leather strap which was intertwined with bones and sometimes glass and would rip the skin off of the back of those who it was beaten exposing the muscles and bones underneath in ways that wouldn't kill but bring to the, bring to the brink breaking his skin for us. He was crowned with thorns, stuck into his head, mocked, spit on. His clothes, as was prophesied, were given out, divided, cast lots for amongst the Roman guards. And Pilate presents him for the crowd. And the crowd just considers this option, right? It was a tradition. Two of these men are guilty. You say one of them can go free. And they say, Barabbas, Barabbas. Barabbas, go free. They're still calling for the blood of Jesus, and they spit and mocked on him. And Jesus, at 9 a.m., the same time that the morning sacrifices were offered in the temple, Jesus was nailed to the cross through his feet, through his wrists, with a sign hung above him. You guys know what the sign said? The king of the Jews, mocking him for what he... They thought they had won in this moment. Here stands your king. And crucifixion is the most humiliating way to die. No king would ever die like this. Your revolution is dead. It's over. Give up. Walk away. The the moment he dies, do you guys remember what happens in the temple? The dividing curtain which separates us from God in that holy of holy places, rips in two, representing that something new is happening and that Jesus in his paying for our sins on the cross, we no longer need blood sacrifice because he did it once and for all. Opening up, as Paul calls in the book of Ephesians, tearing down the dividing walls of hostility that separate us from each other and us from God with his own flesh. Doing it inspired by love for everyone. If this story ended here, right, it'd be a pretty crappy one. It'd be a real bummer of a story. The revolution would definitely not be televised. It would be done. It would be dead. But it doesn't end here, right? John 20, verses one through three, describes, it kind of it kind of, I like these verses because it talks about Peter and another disciple running to the empty tomb. And it's like, Peter is not as fast as the other guy. So the other guy gets there first. And I'm like, wow, only a true story would really gas on Peter like that. Right? So Peter is slow. He gets there, but what do they see? They they do see something. They see an empty tomb and inside this empty tomb are the burial clothing that were wrapped around the body of Jesus, laying down without a body inside of them. As my son, his, uh, his little storybook Bible, you guys know that thing, storybook, Jesus' storybook Bible? It says, what are you doing here? Don't you know that dead bodies are in tombs? There is no dead body here. And here is the ramp up of hope, because if you can imagine these guys who had given their whole life to the hope of this revolution, for three days, thought that their whole life was a lie, everything they'd believed, everything they'd taught, everything they had witnessed to. Maybe it was all a trick, but they kept some hope. They kept gathering, and he comes, he rises from the dead, and for the first time, they saw the complete picture of redemption, death and resurrection. He did it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God not only offers forgiveness of sins, he offers the righteousness that was in Jesus. His righteousness is placed upon you. As you choose him and are in Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. They call it the great exchange if you've ever heard this analogy, um, I think it's probably the best one I've heard. It would be that you stand guilty of murder. You're standing in a courtroom and the the verdict is about to come down from a righteous judge. And he says, guilty. And after he proclaims that you are guilty, right? He takes off his robes and he says, the death penalty is the only thing we can ascribe to this, this murder as the justice that it deserves. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take your punishment. And not only that, I'm gonna give you my seat, and you're gonna now wear my robes of justice, of righteousness, and I'm gonna take your place and die for your murder. The great exchange. We couldn't solve our sin issue, the one we talked about this morning, but Jesus did for us, and he took our place. We created the problem. God came to earth and He entered into our mess and became the answer to a problem He didn't create because He loves us. And He values you and He wants you. He doesn't need you. God doesn't need us. If He needed us, I mean, He wouldn't be much of a God, right? But He wants you in His family to be adopted. Every person has to make the decision on whether or not they think this is true. As Jesus said, do you believe? Every person. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's the words of Jesus. When you stand before God, he isn't gonna ask you what your parents believe, he's not gonna ask you what you learned in school, he's not gonna ask you what you heard from your pastor, from me, from your church back home. He's going to ask you what you believe. Do you believe? And he's going to know the answer. Do you believe? Every person must make this decision about what to do with Jesus as he offers forgiveness and eternal life. And here's the beautiful truth. Like I said, God does not watch our sin struggle from afar with judgment. He's not up here waiting for you to fail, to just destroy you. What he did was he put on flesh. He came here and he solved it for us. And with willing invitation, he offers that thing to us. He got in the mess, the muck with us. He got his hands dirty and he died for us. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and died the death we never could for ourselves so that we can be with him forever. In his sacrificial death, God brings what's called reconciliation with humanity, bringing two parties together that weren't together before. And at the court of all, all of it, the punishment we deserve was poured out on Jesus. He was a substitute in our place, absorbing our punishment in his flesh, a hard but true thing. And what's cool is God knows everything. He knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows the things as we talk about sin. He knows the things you left back home that are hard. When we mention sin or disobedience or hiding, he knows that stuff. He sees it. And what's beautiful is Romans chapter five tells us that while you were a sinner, while you were even doing those things, Jesus died for you, the ungodly, me, the ungodly. He sees the messiest parts of you, the grossest parts of you, and he loves you because you are his kid, you are his creation, and he wants to be with you. And he knows that outside of him, outside of living life with him, is death. None of it can lead to life. And he doesn't want that for you. I hope you hear this, why did he die? Why did he die, ultimately? And it's the old timey John three sixteen, because he loves you, he loves every bit of your mess and he wants to walk with you in it. While we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a miracle above all miracles. And we talk about the gospel like it's a handbag, it's something that just sits over here and we pick it up sometimes as an identity marker, but it is everything. I wanna share with you, in closing, a story, a real-life story that I heard from a farmer. Fresno, where I'm from, is a farm town. There's a lot of things being grown there, probably things you eat, I don't know, Um, but if you eat fruit and vegetables. And a farmer told me this story about, um, in the Salinas Valley over at the coast, um, a family that went through something really hard. And, He said that there was a son as a part of this family back in the early 20th century who despised his family who were farmers. And so he stole a bunch of money from his dad and he moved to New York. And he left the Central Coast. And what did he do with that money? He spent it on things like prostitutes and drugs and partying and all these things that he wanted. And what does sin lead to? Death. And what he ended up finding himself was being broke, sick, with disease, addiction, not having anything left. And he realized, much like the prodigal son in Luke 15, he realized, man, I just don't have anything. I've made a terrible mistake. I'm sick and dying and I need help. And so he wrote his dad a letter. I'm going to read you this story now. His letter said, Father, I realize what I've done. I've wasted not only your money, but my life, which is important to you. I cannot even begin to tell you about the awful things I've done. I've embarrassed, I've embarrassed our family, and I'm embarrassed. I'm at the end of my rope. I know nothing else to do but to ask you if I can return home. I know there is no reason why you should accept me back, but I plead and beg with you that if you would, even as your lowest farm worker, accept me, I would do anything for no pay, just a room and board. I need my life back. I need stability. I need to get well. Father, I have just enough money to take the train back home that passes by our ranch in front of the apple orchards near the edge of the property. And I'm going by there on the train tomorrow at 1 p.m. And if you would accept me back, I would ask that you would simply drape an old sheet over one of the trees nearest the railroad. And as I'm passing by, I'll see the signal and I'll know that you have accepted me to come home. And if the sheet is not there Then I won't stop at the train station, and I'll just keep going. You see, I just can't bear to see you face to face. I don't have the courage. I've done too much, and I have no idea what is going to happen with the rest of my life. That was the end of the letter. And imagine being in this position. Now, a whole sleepless night went by, filled with anxiety, knowing that he was going to get on this train the next afternoon at 1 o'clock. The next morning came and he got on the train and he walked all the way to the back and sat next to an old man. He put his head in his hands and he began to weep as he considered the unworthiness he had begun to fill his, his hands with tears. And the old man asked him what's going on and he filled him in on his story, what was about to happen as they went, went on this train. The train headed out of Salinas when it came around the corner to pass the land that the ranch was on. The son then looked at the old man and said, sir, I cannot bear to look myself. So as we go around this next bend, would you look for me and see if I can find anywhere an old sheet, just anywhere, an old sheet draped over a tree? And he put his head back in his hands and the old man tapped him a few minutes later and said, son, 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 you are going to have to look for yourself. And he lifted his head and he looked out the window, and as far as his eye could see, for five square miles across the ranch, there was a sheet on every tree. I want you to think about that, radical love. Think about that, and know that we're in the place of this son, but God loves us unconditionally, and accepts us in his family. And if that earthly father can love his child this much, how much more has your heavenly father loved you? And I don't know all of you in this room. I've gotten to meet some of you, had a few good conversations. I wish I could meet and talk to all of you, hear your stories. But I know something about you. I know that you are here for a reason. I know that a loving God created you on purpose. And I know that he loved you before you were even born. I don't know what other identity marker you give yourself, but you are loved. And I know that he's here with us today in this room. So the question, friends, is do you believe in this God? Do you believe in Jesus? And will you trust him and turn to him? Will you ask him to forgive you and follow him? And I don't care how young you are, like I said, I mean, a lot of you are very close to the age of these disciples when they walked with Jesus. I don't care. You can be used by God to change the world, beginning right where you're at in life. You don't have to wait. And it starts by taking the first step answering the question that Jesus gives Do you believe? Will you follow? If you're here today without 100% certainty about where you stand with Jesus, never having made this decision before, let me ask you so, yourself, so, I, I have no doubt that if you feel that desire to follow, God is calling you. He wants you in his family. He wants you. How do we do this? It's simple. We take the first step. We decide tonight. Romans 10, Verses 9 through 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's that simple. It's that simple, friends. Jesus gives you an invitation, he wants you, and he asks you into his family. Let me ask you, where do you sit in those places? Do you feel you need to rededicate with the Lord? Do you need to do business with God? Are there things that have ensnared you? Maybe you're following Jesus, but there are sins and things that maybe you need to just confess and get out there. Maybe you need to tell somebody so that you have accountability. Maybe you need to walk in the light. Some of you may have never made this decision and you feel a tugging on your heart. Let me encourage you, follow that tugging tonight. Make a decision to walk with this loving God, the only one who can hold your heart, the only one who can give you purpose. Maybe your soul is tired and worn out and wanting to put your faith in Christ for the first time. What better time than now? I can make you one promise that Jesus does. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy hearted. I will give you rest. He wants to give you rest for your soul. And so what I'm gonna ask you is just, after I pray, Jeb's gonna come up, and he's gonna give us some instruction, but if you feel you need to do business with God, if you need prayer, there are people here, including me, who love you and want to pray with you. If you've never made this decision, hang back. Talk to somebody. If you need to rededicate, your, if, you're, if you claim Christ but your life doesn't look anything like it, hang back. Don't wait. Do business with God tonight. He wants to work and walk with you. There's no better time than now. And if that's not you, that's great, that's okay. Just get up and in discipline of silence and respect, you can walk back to your cabins and we're gonna just pray and, and talk in here for some time and Hume staff will be around and about Uh, letting you know what you need to do or where you need to be. Thank you guys for letting me walk with you this week. Thank you for letting me share with you tonight. I love you guys. I really mean it. I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you for this group. Thank you for their patience. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their openness to me and your gospel. I thank you, God, that you gave us your word, that you love us enough to die for us and that you bore our sins in your flesh and you were poured out as an offering. Father, I pray that we would take that seriously and that anybody in here who needs to do business with you tonight would do so. Praise your name, Jesus.